0: Hello and welcome to Peace, the podcast. This podcast is sponsored by Peace, a United Methodist community in Shoreview, Minnesota. I'm Jason Steffenhagen, the lead pastor. And each episode will typically start with a sacred story reading coming from the Holy Scriptures, followed by the message that was given during our Sunday morning worship time. Any announcements for our community will come at the end of each episode, so stick around if you are curious about learning more about Peace, the United Methodist community, you can go to peaceumc.com. Again, that's peaceumc.com. If you would like to find more episodes, you can find them on our website or go to our show page, which is peacethepodcast.podbean.com. Once again, that's peacethepodcast.podbean.com. We hope that you enjoy this episode. Please like, rate, review, subscribe, and now on to the Sacred Story reading. Our Sacred Story reading uh, comes from the book of Mark, chapter 1, verse 40 through 45. A man with a skin disease came to him this being Jesus begging him and kneeling kneeling he said to him if you are willing you can make me clean moved with pity Jesus stretched out his hand and touched him and said to him I am willing be made clean immediately the skin disease left him and he was made clean after sternly warning him he sent him away at once saying to him see that you say nothing to anyone but go show yourself to the priest and offer your cleansing For uh, what Moses commanded as a testimony to them. But he went out and began to proclaim it freely and to spread the word, so that Jesus could no longer go into a town openly, but stayed out in the country, and people came to him from every quarter. Now I understand that this is a weird story to read, because there's like no context around it, and you don't know why I'm reading it. I will get there. I promise. You know I will. So as Dave mentioned, we are in a series called Out of the Box and Outside the Lines where we are looking at this kind of narrative flow that we see happening over and over in the Bible, I and mean, we see it happening over and over in our own lives. And that flow is a cycle that goes from a sense of chaos to where there, we don't know which end is up, we don't know what's gonna happen next, and there's an order that needs to come. And so we recognize that at the foundation of creation in Genesis chapter one, there's a chaos that the Spirit of God is hovering over and God's gonna bring order to that chaos. We know that in many areas of our lives, we experience chaos, a disruption. We we know that something's not working right and we need to bring order to that part of our lives. And that order is great and it can be beautiful and it can be exactly what God wants and it can be exactly what God desires. And then we can turn it for ourselves. We can try to grab some control over that order. We can try to make it work for us and not them. And we can use our power and our privilege and our position to make the order work for us. And so we tend to grab some control of the order. And then that's where we need more liberation. That's where we need God to say, this can't be the way that it was meant to be. So we see a good order happening in Egypt when the when there's a famine that takes place and Joseph comes in and rises up into power and says, I know how to help. We can make this work for all people. And it's a beautiful order and it's going the way it should. But then the Pharaoh after Joseph comes along and says, you know what, if we make these people slaves, then we can even get more power and we can get more and more. And so we see that control of the Pharaohs enslave the people of Israel. So God brings about liberation through Moses and Aaron and Miriam. And so we see this trajectory um, playing out in the Bible and we can see that trajectory in our own lives. And so we are spending some time, and we're going to wrap up in a couple of weeks here. Uh, We're spending some time talking about what is God up to in our lives and in the Scriptures where we are seeing a little bit of liberation happen, where we're seeing a little disruption to the way things are, that control that we want to grab onto, that people have grabbed onto. How is God bringing about liberation? Where is God saying we can't keep going the way it's been going? Jesus is the ultimate disruptor. Jesus comes in and comes onto the scene and he just starts disrupting all the societal, all the religious, all the cultural norms of his time. He flips them all on their head. He says, you think this person's in power? Well, they shouldn't be. You think this is the way it is? Well, it's not going to be. You think this is the way it's supposed to go? Well, it's not. And Jesus is just flipping everything upside down. And yet, he keeps constantly pointing back to the way that God intended things to be in the Old Testament. Jesus is constantly saying, we need to get back to this very beautiful thing where we can love God with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love our neighbor as ourselves.'" That's the foundation of what God handed the people of Israel, and it's what Jesus is capitalizing on in the New Testament. It's not new. It's just a disruption to the way things are currently going. And so we see Jesus a disruptor, and, and one of the things that we need to recognize is that Jesus is constantly helping us navigate power. How we navigate power is at the forefront of so much of what happens in Jesus's Uh, ministry and in his life on earth. And so before we dive into the story that I just shared, how many of you have ever had a young person or a close friend, spouse, partner that you have watched get like, not like sick, like as in like deathbed sick or disease sick, but like really nasty flu sick. Anyone ever had someone really close to you that you like live with or parenting or right? We've all probably had someone in our life that we've been really close to. We've watched them get the flu. And what is the thing that so many of us say to that person? I wish I could what? I wish I could help. Some of us will go, I wish I could trade places with you. Anyone ever said that? Like seeing your kids sick and been like, oh, I just feel... So heartbroken, but like they're just stuck in bed and they can't move and they're just, oh, they're like, they don't, I just wish I could, I just wish I could trade places. I I remember when my little guy, he's seven and he's like the, like, I don't even know what happened. It's like, it's like an an alien takes over his body when he gets sick. He gets so uncomfortable because his body is like a machine. That kid can do anything, and when his body breaks down on him, and he can't, he feels achy, and he throws up, and he just doesn't feel good. He just, he just goes nuts because he just rebels against that whole thing. And I just see this kid withering, and I'm like, oh, if I could just, if I could just be sick instead of him, like that would be so helpful. Partly because I know I can get over it, and then I don't have to listen to him whine. Um, but also because, like, I just, see, I just see that. I don't love seeing that. I mean, my, my my wife gets sick, when she had COVID, we locked her in the bedroom for a week and said, okay, don't come out until the symptoms are gone, and, like, we're just going to keep doing life out here. You know, there was so many times where I was like, oh, man, I would so much rather be the one in there because I don't have to parent. Um, but no, but, but, but I, didn't want, I didn't want her to be in pain. I was like, if I could take that pain on. I, I've even prayed that prayer with my kids sometimes. I've even just prayed, like, God, if you could just give me that. So that they don't have to have it. And I know it's like a doesn't make any sense. I know that's not a prayer that I ever expect to actually happen. It's just, it's just the compassion, it's a compassionate thing of wanting to take on the pain so that someone else doesn't have to go through it. I think that's what actually what's happening in this story. I think Jesus sees someone who's got a disease, is sick, and Jesus is saying, I want to take on that pain. I want to take it on. I want to do something about it. And Jesus has the ability to do that because Jesus is God. So Jesus can do crazy, cool, miraculous things like that. Jesus is saying in that moment, I want to fix that. I can fix it. And that's where we have to figure out how do we navigate power. Because as I preach this enti- this message and as we navigate this series, there's an, there's an undercurrent throughout the whole thing of people that have the power to do something about the problems of the world and people that don't. People that have the power to change laws, people that have the power to give of their resources, people that have the power to set aside their free time instead of instead of like, you know, doing the gardening or the golfing or the, the other extracurricular activity that's fun, instead of taking a nap, they have the power to go serve and just take a little break for a moment from their their normal life. And they get to go help out once in a while. That's power. That's privilege. And when we talk about being people who recognize the need to help others, we're already admitting that there's a level of power in existence. It's inevitable that we have to see things in this way. And to be honest, I get really uncomfortable at times when I'm up here because in so many ways, every single privilege that our world offers, I have. I'm a white, male, heterosexual, cisgendered, married pastor in America. I don't know of another privilege that I'm supposed to have because I think I got them all. And so anytime I'm up here talking about helping someone, it's not helping people that look like me because I don't need help. Society has set it up so that I'm okay. Now it doesn't mean that I don't have hard times. Doesn't mean that I can't lose a job. Doesn't mean that I can't get sick. Doesn't mean that I don't need assistance once in a while. Of course, all those things can be true. But in the grand scheme of life, I'm fine. And so there's inevitability. The inevitability of a power conversation takes place. For me to say anything means that I am holding that power and saying you should listen to me. And that can be weird, and that can be awkward, and it can be not the way it's supposed to be. Because in the grand scheme of the history of the world, listening to me has been the way the world has operated and the way that it's always been. And that is part of, if not the largest part, of the problem is that oftentimes when you have the microphone or you have the power, you have the resources, you have the position, you have the privileges, you tend to say, well... How can I do a good thing while also keeping the power? How can I be kind or come across as loving while also not letting go of the microphone? Because who wants to let go of the microphone? Who wants to let go of the power? Who wants to let go of the opportunity? And, okay, for any of you that are worried, I'm not quitting, okay? I'm not about to, like, (laughs) trust me, I didn't talk to my wife beforehand and say, by the way, I'm going to church and I'm going to quit because it's the right thing to do. No. Actually, no, and I, and I think embedded in this story is the reason why. Jesus is God incarnate, the most powerful thing imaginable. Jesus is the embodiment of God on earth with all the power of resurrection living inside of him. And Jesus doesn't just say, I'm never going to say anything. I'm never going to do anything, because it's not a question of do you just throw away your power. It's what do you do with the power afforded you, and what we see Jesus doing is not saying, "Here, I'm going to run for president. I'm going to run for prime minister. I'm going to run for uh, you know chief priest of the temple. I'm going to I'm going to do this. I'm going to do." Jesus doesn't lord the power over others. Jesus uses the power of God Almighty to love and serve others. He uses his power to say, you need presence. You need to know how worthy you are, how strong your voice is, how much you are needed. We don't don't just replace the people at the table, we build the bigger table. Jesus is an inclusive God who says, we need everyone around this table. So the question is, how do we navigate the power that we have. And every one of us in this room has power. And the reason why I know that is because you had the opportunity on a Sunday morning to get up and to come to a place voluntarily. There's plenty of people around the world who are working in order to put food on the table right now. There are plenty of people who don't have the ability to even get out of their bed. We here in this room have privilege and we have power. The question is, what do we do with it? One of the things that we see Jesus doing in this story is we, we see Jesus showing up. Presence. We've talked about this a number of times. We have to be people of presence. we got to connect. we got to be in relationship with others. We see Jesus being present in the lives of those that are less fortunate. He's, he's talking with the person with the skin disease and, and asking, what can I do for you? How can we help this situation? And so we see Jesus being present. What we don't see is Jesus going, you know, we got to think of the perfect three-point plan or eight-point plan or 25-point plan before I ever do a miracle. We got to make sure that we change the entire societal structure. We got to change all the politics. We got to make sure all the laws are in order and then we'll show up and help. Jesus doesn't come along and say, we got to have it all figured out. It's got to all be perfect. And then, and then I'll, I'll assert my power. We just see Jesus showing up. You know, there's this really interesting passage where Jesus is praying for the disciples, and he says, you will do even greater things than I did. And I always read that verse, and I was like, that's a really stupid thing to say, Jesus. Like, you're God incarnate, you're doing miracle after miracle, you raise from the dead, and then you tell us that we're going to do even greater things than you do? That doesn't make any sense. And the reason why I think Jesus says it is because Jesus isn't changing the societal structures of his time. He's not changing laws. What Jesus comes along and does is that he shows us what it means to be human and to see other people as human. That's step one. See other people as fully human, fully worthy of love, fully worthy of opportunity to show up at the table and to have a voice. What comes after that presence is the societal change and structure change. So when it comes to how do we make this whole thing hum differently, that's up to us. Jesus came and said, here, I'm going to show you who you're supposed to talk to. I'm going to show you who matters in this world. It's the marginalized. It's the oppressed. It's the poor. I'm going to show you where you need to go. It's to the outskirts of the city, not to the inner sanctum. I'm going to show you where you need to be. Then it's up to you at that point. Because... My spirit's going to be with you. I'm going to go back up and do the work that I need to do. Now you got to do the work you need to do. Jesus has put it on us to say, how can we change these things? And that work is hard, long, and massive. We're not going to do it perfectly. We're not. But we have to be present to that work. Second thing is that Jesus has purpose over position. At the time that Jesus was on the planet, he was, a, he was called a rabbi. And a rabbi, I, I, I spent like a half hour last night when I was walking the dogs, and I was pl- trying to figure out what's the modern equivalent of a rabbi. Now, some of you might say, well, it's just like go to a synagogue, you'll, you'll meet a rabbi. Okay, yes, I know that. I know that we could meet someone with the title of a rabbi. We could invite a rabbi to come and talk about what a rabbi is and share. That's that's all fine and good. In the first century, though, a rabbi was something that I don't even have a modern-day equivalent to because you had priests in the synagogues and in the temple. You had people that were the religious leaders. You had people that were the scribes, those that were interpreting the law and telling people what it says. But a rabbi was kind of this itinerant slash elevated slash mystical person in the community that was providing an interpretation of the scriptures and then telling people to live a certain way. They weren't just staying in one spot and they would travel around sharing this, and they would gain disciples. Jesus wasn't the only one that did this. There were many, many rabbis that did this, but they would have disciples, people that were the brightest of the bright, the smartest of the smart, and the rabbi would look at them and say, you know what? You can follow me because I think you're the smartest of the smart, the brightest of the bright, and on top of all of it, I think you could be exactly like me one day when I pass on. And so a rabbi would... would, would would bring people along to carry on the message that they have received. And so Jesus is traveling around and he's sharing this dynamic message and he's got his disciples with him. I mean, we're talking about a superstar who just goes around sharing what insights they have. That comes with an incredible amount of power and position in that society. But Jesus doesn't use that power. To become religiously powerful, to say, you know what, I want to become chief priest one day in the the temple in Jerusalem. Jesus doesn't say, you know what, I want to be as powerful as Herod the Great, and I want to build monuments to myself, and I want to be in league with Rome, and I I want to have all the political power imaginable. Jesus could have. But instead, Jesus understands his life is about a purpose, not about a position. He doesn't use what God has given him to gain more and more earthly power. Instead, he sees that he has a purpose to love others. Even in his hometown, where if you're going to go back anywhere and be like kind of cool for a moment, you'd want it to be your hometown. How many of us had an awkward high school experience growing up? I mean, let's be honest, probably everybody, right? We all have had semi awkward high school experiences. How many of you would like to go to your 25 or 40 or 50 year high school reunion and walk in and have everybody go, "Oh my goodness. Can you believe that they're here? Oh my gosh. This is amazing." I mean, imagine being Beyoncé and going to your, you know, you know, going to your high school reunion. I mean, who wouldn't want that, right? Who wouldn't want to be Beyoncé and go to your high school reunion and be like, Oh my gosh, she came. Like, this is amazing. You're just going to your high school reunion and sign autographs. I mean, that would be awesome. That would be awesome. It'd be so fun. Jesus goes to his hometown in the New Testament and he starts preaching to the people good news to the poor, sight to the blind, the year of Jubilee to to the outcast. And they try to throw him off the edge of a cliff because they think he's crazy. Jesus could have said, Anything he wanted to that would have come across way cooler than the thing that almost got him killed. But Jesus gets thrown out of his own hometown. He's not worried about position, even in the place where he might want to desire it. But instead, he knows that there's a purpose. The final thing is that we have to decenter our story. I had a great conversation recently with a friend, and we were talking about church and voices, and we were actually reflecting on Pastor Jaretta being with us last week and the dynamic message that she shared about apologies that disrupt. And part of the conversation was a gratefulness that she was willing and able to come share with us and that she was vulnerable to share about some of the experiences that she's had, the marginalization that she's experienced, but then also her desire to bring about a more inclusive church in the work that she and so many others have done, including people here in our congregation, have done to make a more inclusive denomination, a more inclusive church, a more inclusive community. And in that conversation, one of the things that came up was was me, like, again, the the privilege, the power. And and what I said was, I can't say like 90% of the things that she said because my life doesn't allow me to and I shouldn't say those things. She should. Her story should say those things. She should be the one to say those things. And so part of our challenge as a community is figuring out how do we decenter certain stories as the only story and when i mean decentering i don't mean we throw out the story i don't mean that we just toss it away as if it never happened but we decenter it from being the only story and we recognize that there are many stories that all need to be told in order to create the beautiful tapestry that is the body of christ to create the mosaic of who we are as a full, inclusive, whole people. That with every story, we become more and more who we're meant to be. And so how do we de-center certain stories? Not lose them, but decenter them so that other stories can be told. So part of my job and part of the job of you all is to partner together to figure out, okay, let's figure out how do we de-center certain stories and then add and include other stories. How do we do that? And so one of the things I'm proposing to do, and I've talked to steering about this, is that currently, just to let you in behind the curtain of the uh, Wizard of Oz here for a second, I'm asked to only have four Sundays off a year, like where I am not present with you all. That's That's what the contract says. So there's Essentially in the budget, there's four Sundays where you shouldn't be hearing from me. There's also this thing called the professional expense, a part of my salary that it's kind of use it or lose it. And I was talking to a pastor friend of mine and I was like, like, how do you not do that? Because I don't think that's the healthiest thing. And she says, well, we get those four off and then I use my professional expense account to have other people come and, and I always make sure that they're not looking like me. And they're not my age, and they're not, they, don't, they don't have the same gender as me or whatever. You know, d- there's got to be some d- you know, demographical d- difference in order for them to speak in my pulpit. And I was like, oh, cool. And so one of the things that I want to commit to doing is using the professional expense part of the budget that you all approve to decenter who's up here, to make sure that there are more voices up here than just mine and for other people. So, how can we decenter that a little bit? Also, how can we be more creative with what we're doing? I love preaching. I love putting together a message. I love figuring out. I love talking for 20, 25 minutes. I don't always need to do that. Are there other things? Are there other formats? Are other ways that we can navigate this space so that we can decenter certain voices and we can highlight others? And so I would love the creativity that is out there, out here to help shape what we do up here. And so if you have thoughts, ideas, if you have orders of service, if you have different types of interaction that you think could be um, important or exciting or just different, I would love, love to hear about it. I would love to interview some of you about what makes you tick and why you chose the life you did and, and what's been exciting and how God has moved you and, and worked on you and, and helped give you direction for who you are because that story needs to be Part of the tapestry of who we are. So I'm putting that to you all and on me. We got to de-center some stories so that the story of this community can be a much richer, wider story. And then the final thing I'm going to say before John comes up, and and again, we have the beautiful set of songs that I think really capitalize on this whole series. Jesus is displaced after he is present. He's no longer able to be in the same place that he was. He can't go into the town. He can't do it anymore. So as people who have power and privilege and the ability to help others, just recognize and understand that that may come at a cost. It may mean that you're not invited to other things because you show up to some things. It may mean that you choose not to do certain things because you're going to use your time to go do other things. You might not get invited to the same family gatherings because of the choices you make and the way that you live in the world. That may be part of what happens. We have to recognize that that is part of the journey of being a disciple of Christ, one who follows in the footsteps of our rabbi and says, we want to be like that. We want to find ourselves helping, healing, rubbing off on one another, decentering our story so that other stories can be told. Let's pray. God of immense power and might, God who made the universe, God who formed humanity from the dust, God who put it all into motion, God who humbled God's self into a baby. God who died on a cross. Be with us. Christ, we are grateful for your presence in our lives. We're grateful for the model you were to us and to those around you when you showed up on the margins and not just in the temple. May we be a people, God, who show up, who are present. Not perfect, but present. God, may we have a purpose and not just seek a position. And God, may every story be one that's told. May we listen well. May we make room. In the name of Christ we pray. Amen. May you, may you go with all that God has given you, all the power and privilege, but may you recognize that it is not for you, but it is for others. May you go to serve. May you go to be present. May you go with purpose, not just seeking a position. May you stand in the light and may you be the light. In the name of grace, by God's power we go. Amen. See you next week. Thank you for listening to this episode of Peace, the podcast. If you would like to learn more about our community, go to peaceumc.com. Again, that's peaceumc.com. For more episodes of this podcast, you can go to our website or go to the show page, Peace the Again, peace the May you experience the love of God and may you have peace.